Amen to that. Lord, have your way. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning if you're watching online, part of our online campus. So glad that we can all be together. Somehow, God works that way because he's everywhere, all at the same time. And so he can take us, though we're a bit scattered, and he is not He's not the one that just scatters us to spread the gospel. He's also the one that gathers us. And I'm praying that he'll do that uh, this morning, whether you're right here on the main campus or whether you're online, that we are one in Christ and uh, God is working in and through uh, North Church. So happy Labor Day. I know for some of you, it, you are going to be laboring this weekend. You're going to continue to work. And uh, one, especially for our teachers, administrators, parents of children of schools, um, that, you know, th that's been a big concern, a big concern about what, you know, when, when are the classes, how are they going to work. And uh, I know that's been a wait. Just know that North Church, as a staff and as people in our church, we have been praying for you. And uh, so know that you are supported in prayer, and we have been reaching out to the schools to see what we can do as a church as well to partner with our schools to make sure that we're doing whatever we can to be a part of, of those solutions that are there. So thank you for that. The, the, uh, this past week, um, we went to Texas. Tisa and I went there because her dad's health has been failing. Her dad's name is John, and, and uh, we went there because that we were told that he may only have a couple days to live. So we flew out there and had just the sweetest time being by his, at his bedside. We were allowed into the hospital, praise God for that, and uh, we were able to be there and pray with him, and we sang some songs together and uh, read some scriptures, and you know, just the tenderness and the power that's there in those final moments of anybody's life. Um, is just amazing. And I used to be so afraid of those moments and so it felt so awkward. And uh, over the years, as I've been a part of just a lot of people uh, in their final hours, moments, uh, it's grown to be one of those most sacred and special times of my life because it's in those places where some of the, the deepest things get said as well as the fact that it's just a reminder that this life is not all there is, Right? And that it really keeps, keeps me, at least, focused on eternity and on heaven and where eternity becomes something more than just some philosophy or theology, but that it's real. It's so real in that, in that moment. And, uh, and then, of course, we flew home to Spokane, and then the very next night, John left this earth, and now he's celebrating in heaven. And um, I just wondered, have you ever thought of what you would want placed on your tombstone, what you would see as maybe some of those final words that you would say. And uh, I've heard of some, some really powerful words. I've heard of some strange ones as well. Uh, instead of Leonardo da Vinci, uh, in his last words on his deathbed, he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Leonardo Da Vinci. It's like, come on, dude, that's a perfectionist problem right there. I've seen some kind of funny statements on tombstones before. Um, I, you know, you can have a sense of humor about some of this stuff. You know, one said, died for not sending that text message to 10 other people. So that's crazy. Another one from the tombstone of a dentist. 
Walter Brown lies here filling his last cavity. <laughs> or here lies an atheist all dressed up and no place to go. That's a sad one. Now, I, I think we can do better than that, don't you? As you look at your life and you project out and you say, well, what would I want to be put on my tombstone that would capsulize my life, my faith, my stance, you know, the, the way that I poured out in my life? What would that look like for you? Well, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul this morning in Acts chapter 20 as we continue in our series called Scattered. And we're going to look at what I consider to be some of his final words, things that would have maybe even been placed on his tombstone uh, if he would have had a proper burial. But as many of you know, Paul was beheaded by Nero in Rome, and scholars say he wasn't given the right of a proper burial, probably thrown to the dogs. But we're going to see and we're going to glean some things that Paul said to this group of friends and leaders in the Ephesian church. Acts chapter 20 Apostle Paul and his team, uh, they actually left Ephesus, and they began to kind of do a goodbye circuit, kind of a farewell, you know, kind of circuit around to the various churches that he had helped plant and start, and he begins to meet with them and teach them, and then they have tears together and share some final words together, and, and in Acts 20, I just love it because it opens up with the, one of the most crazy stories in all of Scripture. And it's basically a story of like a college-age student who's listening to a really long lecture. And he ends up falling asleep, falling out a window, and dying. It's there. And his name is Eutychus. It says on the first day of the week, they're meeting together. Paul talked to them into the night. And the teacher, the lecturer, was Paul. And he's talking for six hours. We're not talking a couple final words. We're not even talking sentences or paragraphs. Six hours of preaching and preaching and preaching. And this guy, this poor young man, he's listening. He's sitting in a window ledge, and the candles are burning. It's late at night. He's trying to hold his, his head up and his eyes open. And all of a sudden, he just passes out, falls asleep. I wouldn't think Paul's boring, but I guess this guy did. He falls to his death three stories high. Everybody runs out, and they... And Paul stands over him and prays over him, and he rises from the dead. Now, that will get your attention. Everybody is in awe. They go back in the house, and Paul preaches another six hours. Now, I think, why is that in the Bible? Well, I can only think of two application points. One is, Mike, don't preach too long. And the other is, if you fall asleep, you'll die. So those are my, those are my two takeaways for that. But as Acts chapter 20 goes on, uh, what we see is Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian leaders and to his friends. And it starts there uh, in verse 17. And uh, if you have a Bible or if you're watching online, uh, you can pull the Bible tab down and take a look at this in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said this to them. He said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying 
uh, both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see Paul did both. He preached publicly and he had times where people gathered together in a space where they publicly uh, listened to Paul preach as well as worship. And then there was this house-to-house ministry. And now it says in verse 22, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going. God's already been preparing his heart, been preparing his spirit, dropping words into his heart and spirit that, hey, you're on your way to a place where you're going to die. And, and constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what is going to happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. That, what a great future ahead, right? And verse 25, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He knows, this is the last time he's going to see him, he knows that he's headed at some point to Rome. Acts 20, 25, four statements that we're going to read and we're going to just kind of unpack here that, that are statements about his life that I think every one of us can kind of be inspired by, learn from, and maybe even say, would one of these reflect my life? So here's, here they are. First one is this. Paul said, I ran my race and I finished strong. We see that resounding not just here, but we see it in Philippians. We see it in the letters to Timothy. We see this statement. Paul says in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is saying, My single focus in life is on Jesus and on his call on my life. No matter what happens, no matter what I suffer, no matter what trials I enter into, I just want to be faithful to the call that he has placed in me, and I want to just be faithful to the end. And my question for all of us is this. What has Jesus called you to do? What assignment has he called you to do that has your name written on it? Notice that Paul said, my race. He didn't say your race or Timothy's race or Silas or Barnabas. It was his own race. And each of us have a calling, a race, something, an assignment that he's put before us that we are responsible to do and no one else can do it for us. When Tisa and I go out running, whether it's a mile or 10 miles, we just have this different pace or different race. And whenever we try to just stick directly together, one of us is going to suffer a little bit because I start off fast and then I slow down over time as I'm running. Tisa starts out slow, but she ends up finishing really fast and ends up passing me. And so we've just had to learn that you have your pace and your race and I have my pace and my race and somewhere in the middle we're going to meet as you're passing me and that's okay, right? We all have a different race, and it's not wise to try and keep up with someone else or try to run someone else's race. Second Timothy 4, 7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And there are two ways that we often kind of mistakenly work this out. One is we take too much responsibility on ourselves. And we feel like, man, I've got to solve, you know, uh, the issues with the poor. I've got to fix my friendships. I've got to make sure my kids turn out right. And they, there's some people just carry around this enormous burden 
that if it's to be, it's up to me. It's, you know, like this massive weight of responsibility. And then others don't even think about, you know, any responsibility. They don't think about a calling. They don't think about any assignment God may have given to them. And the meeting in the middle is where God has called us as a steward, realizing that all of life is a stewardship. I'm not the owner of my life. I'm not the owner of, of the funds I have, the money that I have. I'm not the owner of my marriage or my children. I'm a steward. And a steward is a servant. It's a manager of someone else who is the owner. And God is the owner, right? We are the stewards. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the leader. He's the master. And he's the owner. And my responsibility is just to do what the master says, just to listen and obey what he says. And the scripture teaches us he's not a harsh task master. He doesn't want us to walk around feeling guilty all the time. But what he does require is that we're faithful to the call of our lives. 20 years ago, when we first planted North Church, um, I was just going in too many different directions. I sat down and I decided I need to write a personal calling statement. I need to sit down. I need to focus and say, God, what, out of all the things that I could do, what do you want me to do? And I came up with some things. I'll read a couple of them to you. I just pulled it up yesterday after looking at it a long time ago. It says, here's what I wrote. I want to help lead a missions movement through local churches that focuses on equipping and releasing high-impact leaders to lead high-impact churches throughout the world. God wants me to raise my kids to be men of God, serving God with passion and integrity. And I, I intend to help people, lost people find Jesus Christ and discover their unique purposes in life. And I envision falling deeper in love with my wife every day, working together to fill our destiny as a couple. That's been my, that's been my, my jam. That's been like my, the thing, the assignment I feel that God has called me to. And so it helps when we write it down. I can't control the outcomes of all of that because it involves other people, right? You can't control other people. All I can say is like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, and so I'm going to do my best to be faithful to what God has called me as a steward to do. That's me. That's not you. How about you? What is your calling? What is your assignment? What do you think God wants? How does he want to focus your life? And have you written it down? Writing it down helps you stay focused on it. Writing it down helps you concentrate and crystallize some of your thinking around it. I want to challenge you to write it down. Success in life is identifying what God has called you to do and then just being faithful to it. What will it be like to hear those words at the end of this life? Well done, good and faithful servant. To look at the face of Jesus, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, to say, enter into the joy of your master. That was one of Paul's statements. I want to just be, I want to finish strong and I want to be true to the call. The second thing Paul said is, I directed people's attention towards Jesus, not myself. Verse 19, he said, I serve the Lord with all humility and tears and trials. Now, that doesn't sound like the statement of a great leader. Leaders in our day, they're the ones that are perpetually competent. They're uber successful. They're the ones that have their life all put together, right, and figured out. 
And Paul's saying, no, I'm broken, and out of my brokenness, and out of my tears, and out of my trials, I'm following Jesus, and I'm wanting others to follow me as I follow Christ. Humility, in verse 19, in the Greek language, is often used as a put-down. You're weak, you're insufficient, but in the Bible, that same word is, is often verbalized as a virtue. It's used over 200 times in the Bible. Why does an insult outside of the gospel become a virtue inside? Because Christian ministry is not just about extraordinary men and women, right? Worthy to be praised. But it's about a great Savior who can save the weakest and most broken and most guilty of sin. Tim Keller, he said it this way. A humble and weak person will show a crucified Savior better to a listener than a polished, put-together expert. Because that's how it happened for us. We weren't saved by pulling ourselves together, but by admitting we were sinners and calling on the one who was pulled apart for us. I want people's attention to be on Jesus, not on me. It's not about making disciples after ourselves. It's about making disciples after Jesus that people would look like him and talk like him and act like him and become more and more like him. Here's the third life statement Paul made. He said, I told the truth. Twice Paul says this in this passage. In verse 20 he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then in verse 27 he said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And he uses this word shrink twice. And I, I think, isn't it easy to shrink back? In other words, you say the truth up to a point, but then once it feels uncomfortable, awkward, maybe might be conflictive, we pull back. We shrink back from telling the whole truth. And it's often in that last 10% where real things happen, real transparency, real breakthrough. And Paul said, I, I, I'm a herald of the truth. I, it's not uh, about having everybody like me. I mean, often we get more concerned about people liking us, people respecting us, wanting to fit into a group, than we do care about the truth. And I've been guilty of that. The gospel, though, is this, that the human race stands underneath the judgment of God because of our rebellion, because of our sin. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We are absolutely helpless, and there is nothing I can do to add to God's grace or to help Him save me, love me. And if we humble ourselves and admit that we have no way out, that we cannot fix ourselves, save ourselves, improve ourselves, but that we stand in need of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that he is our only hope, that we can be saved. You can be saved. That's the gospel truth. Now, I'm not responsible to make you respond to that. I'm not responsible uh, for you to uh, agree with that. Or I'm just responsible to tell you the truth. And each of us have a story. We each have a story of God's work in our lives, God's grace showing up within our lives, and we're responsible to tell that truth to other people, to not hold back, to not bring it to a point where it feels like it could be conflictive and then pull back and shrink back. Paul said, I declared the whole counsel of God. It doesn't mean that you've got to be uh, 
rude. It just means that we have to be truthful. So can I ask you, have you been clear with people? When people look at you and they think of you, do they see just a nice person or do they see a Jesus person? Are you more interested in being liked and being respected or making sure that people hear the truth of God? Now, keep in mind, Paul said that he shared this truth in tears and brokenness. Verse 31 says, For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. We see the manner in which Paul spoke this truth. It was in a gracious manner, a humble manner, a broken manner, a transparent manner of his own weaknesses, but yet giving God that glory. I want to challenge us to learn from that example and to be truth tellers. Number four, lastly, Paul said, I gave more than I took. He said in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we may help the weak Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul was, by many respects, a very successful person. Uh, Paul was an educated person. Paul communicated well. Paul could have made his life, and especially as he aged, he could have turned that ship more towards himself. But he continued to just pour his life out, as he said, like a drink offering. And on the night before he died, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, you remember? Because Paul is quoting Jesus when he says, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know about you, but on my last night, I might want it to be about me. But Jesus makes it about everybody else in the room. Jesus always gave more than he took. And that's a great question for all of us is to say, am I in all of my relationships giving? Am I giving more than what I'm trying to get out of them? In your marriage, do you serve your spouse more than they serve you? Guys, whose, pref whose preferences are you thinking more about? Yours or your wife? Ladies, whose comfort and happiness are you more devoted to? Counselor Brad Hambrick said this of Acts 2035, he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. He said, this is the best sex therapy counseling you'll ever get. Now, that's an interesting application of that, right? But it's true. I mean, hey, the book of Acts, it's all about the missionary position. <laughs> Just checking to make sure you're still awake. I don't want you to die. In, uh, in what we do with our career, in how we live our lives going into retirement, super important that the vocation God has given you is a vocation every bit as worthy as one he's given me, right? It's not just pastors. Every person has been given a ministry in the areas in which he places us in society, in business, in politics, in government, in law enforcement, in the military, wherever it is, God is using you and he wants you to live on mission with him. So I need to ask that question of myself. 
am I trying to give more? Am I trying to pour more into this friendship than I'm trying to get out? Am I trying to pour more into this marriage than I'm trying to get out? Is retirement a destination where you can finally make it all about yourself? I've given and given and served, and now it's the, you know, now the golden years will be the me time. I'll live at the lake, play golf, hang out. Paul was entering into this season of life. I don't, I can't speak for anyone else, but for myself, I don't plan to retire. I do plan to transition from this role one day. God spoke to my heart 20 years ago and said, you know, part of my assignment is to help mobilize missionary leaders for the harvest. I love to do that right here in our city with church planters and with leaders. I hope to do that more broadly as I age. Uh, but I don't plan to retire. I mean, I want the, the, the best years, the most contributing years of my life to be as I age, as long as I can think coherent thoughts. So you'll let me know if I don't. But, you know, I, I want it to be about contribution and not just like turn a corner and now it gets to all be about me. I don't think that I don't think that I see that in Scripture. Isn't it interesting when you compare Paul's journey towards Jerusalem and compare it to Jesus, our Lord? Like Paul, Jesus had set his face to go towards Jerusalem with his friends, begging him not to go. But Paul went to Jerusalem with the love and friendship of his companions. Jesus, on the other hand, was forsaken by every friend. He went into this trial alone. And in this hour of trial, Paul had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And he felt just the presence of God in his life. He said, my God has stood beside me all the way and he will never leave me nor forsake me. And yet Jesus at his trial said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus had given up more for Paul than Paul could ever and would ever give up for him. How could Paul ever repay Jesus? He couldn't. And neither can I. And neither can you. Because you can never outgive God. God has given more to you, and God has given more to me than I can ever give back to Him. When we give, when we serve, when we do things for others, when we tithe, when we whatever it is, you 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 think about what it whatever the fill in the blank for you is where you're giving up your life. We think, man, I'm doing this for you, God. It's like there's nothing I can do that would ever repay God for what he's done for me. He gave it all. And he continues to bless our lives because he is for you, not against you. He is the one that his death on the cross, his blood shed there, it pays the penalty for every sin, for every moral failure, for every failed relationship, for every addiction. God's sacrifice on the cross makes us right with God because of Jesus. He wants to bless you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to know your calling. He wants you to live a faithful life and to empower you to that end. Let's invite him in. Let's let him speak to us right now and give us the grace we need for that journey. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your one and only son to this earth to die the death that was due me. God, to hang on that cross and pay the penalty for all of my sins, failures, and rebellion. 
Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. Thank you for the forgiveness that you purchased there at the cross. And thank you, God, for the friendship you now extend. That we can have that personal relationship with our Father in heaven. That we can now walk hand in hand with our God. Knowing you're calling the assignment God has your name written on starts by putting your hand in the hand of God. It starts by opening your heart, saying yes to God. It starts by receiving grace. It starts by having a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you've never done that, I want to pray with you and ask that you pray directly to your Father in heaven who loves you and is for you, not against you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you right now and I'm saying yes to you. Yes, Lord, I, I need forgiveness. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Be my Lord and my leader. Reveal my calling and my assignment. Empower me with grace so that I can be faithful. Empower me, Lord, with your presence so that I can be a giver. Empower me. Fill me today, Holy Spirit. And each one of us, Lord, we pray, will you continue to pour out your grace and give us clarity as we seek to live our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching online and you gave your heart to Christ, there's a little raise, raise your hand moment right there. I invite you to do that um, so that we can pray for you. If you're here today at the main campus and you've opened your heart to Christ, said yes to him for the first time, come up afterwards, would you, and let me know. I, I want to I celebrate that with you and pray for you. Well, let's worship.
God, we rest in that promise this morning. We rest in your faithfulness, in your provision, in your everlasting love for us, God. We are so thankful. We will choose to say yes and amen to you every day, God. We love you. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. We're so glad that you took the time to visit us. If the message spoke to you in any way, or if there's anything that we can be praying with you about, uh, please click the prayer link at the bottom of the screen. We do have pastors standing by who would uh, love to pray with you and love to chat with you about um, what God spoke to you during the message. Here at North Church, we do believe in connecting people in healthy and growing relationships. And so if that is a next step that you might want to take, we would love to help you be a part of the life and mission of our church. Please click the connect link at the top of the screen in order to do that, or feel free to check us out on our website online, which is northchurch.net. Thanks again. See you next week.